0: Today's Happy Healthy You podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash Happy Healthy You. Over 150,000 titles to choose from.
1: Everybody, welcome to Happy Healthy You the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman, and I'm here with one of my favorites, one of your favorites, I'm sure, Lori Cameron. She's back after her summer of travels. I can't wait to hear all about that. But she's back after some training she's had on compassion. So that's the subject of our podcast today. Hi Lori Cameron. Hi, Connie. It's, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for coming back. Your purpose blue website is up. You're you're really rolling. The executive coach, the personal coach you're 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 doing it all you're living the life congratulations
0: (laughs) well I'm I'm having a really good time and I'm uh, an exciting thing that's happened since I last talked to you is I I became a guest professor at the University of Maryland teaching mindfulness no
1: way yeah seriously yeah you didn't
0: tell me that you saved it my <laughs> podcast scoop tell me yeah, about it's fun that. to have a little surprise in your podcast. yeah 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 so um as part of the executive mba program they invited me to bring a seminar on mindful leadership wow so we teach mindfulness to executives and these are executives that are already out in the world you know they're already um in companies all over the washington area and some even further and um they're recognizing the importance of cultivating a capacity to be grounded and present and centered and 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 an ability to focus attention in today's world. So yeah. Um I've just loved adding that into the work that I do. The mix. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well that's so exciting. I wanna take yeah. that class. Yeah. That's great.
1: Professor, do I call you Professor Cameron oh. now? <laughs> well
0: if you like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's I'm I'm guest professor. Yes,
0: <laughs> apparently there's a lot of professor adjectives at, in the university setting.
1: So is that why you went to Tuscany and all over the world this summer just to kind of get your last vacation in before you started working really hard? Well, as the school. You starts? know, we
0: have a family ritual of um, going to Tuscany because we have a, a small house there that's in that that belongs to my husband's family, the German family. And it's completely remote. So we're, we're self-sufficient. We don't have any internet or TV or telephone or anything. And we harness our own water and our own electricity with solar panels. And so we are really unplugged. Well, where are the, um, vineyards though? How, what, what is your proximity to the vineyards? <laughs> um, very close. Okay. <laughs> so all that. So all I have that. plenty of olive oil and wine flowing nearby. There you go. Wow. That <laughs> we're sounds... not depriving ourselves. We're just not, um, doing Facebook posts. Oh, that sounds
1: beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That sounds beautiful. Well, today we're going to talk about compassion because you've just returned from, um, tell, tell us about your workshop that you just came okay. from.
0: I'm part of the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. And um, it's, I'm, a, I'm in a year-long training mastery program for teachers. So at okay. the end of this year, um, if all goes well, I'll be certified as a teacher with this institute. And this is a uh, program that was developed at Google, founded at Google, for Google engineers to become more emotionally intelligent. And the way that this course is founded on neuroscience, all the latest science around how the brain can change, and we bring in mindfulness practices as a way to become more self-aware and, more, um, and, and have an ability to self-regulate. To manage our emotions and to connect into motivation, what drives us mm. and um, and to deepen our social skills. And one of the key competencies that we teach in that class is compassion. So we over the course of the year, we've we've gone really deep into different areas. Mm-hmm. And in this retreat, I just was uh, just spent a week in San Francisco at the Hotel Kabuki in Japantown, which was a great backdrop for this we got really deep into the, the science and the, and the um, skills around compassion.
1: Wow, if Google feels that it's important for their leaders to develop and cultivate compassion, then it must be important because, I mean, they're yeah. Google.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting. We, um, so we had a couple of great things. We had Dr. Rick Hansen is um, a wonderful neuropsychologist and he spent a day with us as our teacher you know, out of our week, we had a day with Rick Hansen, and I can talk more about some of the insights I got from Rick. But another thing is we we talk about a CEO of Zappos, you know, the fabulous shoe company right. where you can order any shoes that you would like online. And mm-hmm. what Tony figured out, Tony Shea, is that cultivating these skills, like truly being a compassionate leader and creating happy employees- is a real key to a successful company, you know, high profit and high profits and happy customers. So we really looked at what's underneath of that. Why Why does that work? And how does a leader become more compassionate? You know, leadership, you're, you're talking
1: about leaders as these big corporate executives or leaders of big giant companies, but we're all leaders. When when I do this podcast, I sort of consider everyone out there that's listening to be a leader. um, Talk about that a little bit because we all have a sphere of influence in our lives. And, you know, whether we're parents or on the PTA or in a giant corporation or, you know, working at McDonald's, we all can affect the people that we come into contact with. So talk about the importance of that a little bit before we get into this more and into the
0: meat of the subject. Well, I think that's so important that you brought that up. And I think Stephen Covey first introduced that term of circle of influence. So I love that you, you oh. brought that up. We, Me and Stephen, um, yeah, we're yeah, like we're Seven like Habits that. of Highly Effective People guy. <laughs> so right. he knew it but 25 years ago. I guess. So we all have a circle of influence and, and those are all the the people and groups and companies and um, associations and organizations that, that we participate in. And if we all were to take out a clean sheet of paper and draw all these circles that we that we are active in, we can realize collectively what a big circle that that mm-hmm. we have, that we touch. And it's really incredible to think about how our energy and our heart, and whether we're kind of leading in the moment with our ego or with our heart, how much that affects other people. And it affects not only their well-being, but if you're in a group, I mean, I was at a meeting last night at my church um, with the lay led service committee planning out services for the year. But that was an it was an active group of of 10 uh, super smart people. And we had an intense agenda. And in that meeting, we're all leaders. You know, we all have an ability to show up effectively in a connected way and collaborate. Or we can show up in a way where we are pushing our own agenda and our own ideas and blocking creativity. So there's so many, so many, and I think of myself as a leader in my home. So what is the mood in my home? And is it fostering peace and well-being and a place for people to flourish and grow? Mm -hmm. Or is it rushed and, you know, we're rushing from here to there and we feel stress and we are, there's blaming or judging. You know, it can, both of those conditions happen from time to time, but I'm, I'm trying to lead what it feels like to be in my home so i think yeah i think we're all leaders in many different ways yes yes and so coming to the
1: table whether it's the dinner table or the corporate table with compassion and google feels it's important so we're going to pay attention so tell us what is compassion what is their your definition of compassion and why is it important to bring compassion to the
0: table so, um, thank you. I think, I think it's so great always to just start with, with a definition. And, you know, we, we hear a lot about empathy. And for some people, it feels like empathy and compassion are the same. Empathy is our ability to recognize and see the pain or suffering in someone else. And we are beautifully wired to do that. We have something called mirror neurons, which, which, um, allow us to, to really see and we, Brain studies have shown that we actually mirror in our own brain the suffering that someone else is having when Mm -hmm. we're watching them. So that's empathy. Some people call it the the ability to step into someone else's shoes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, a foundation competency. Compassion is a little broader in that it's the emotion that we feel in response to the suffering of others, which motivates a desire to help. So you can think of compassion as having that additional piece of saying, you know, from the, from the thoughts, it's saying, I understand you. From the heart, it's saying, I feel for you. And the motivation piece is, I want to help you. So compassion mobilizes us to take action, which is really how we can change the world. That's really connected to the bigger mission of the Dalai Lama and a lot of good people about that we all have that responsibility right. to affect the world now is
1: that something that's innate within humans compassion or, or is that something we need to cultivate and and really grow I mean are we all born with compassion when we're babies we're so narcissistic I mean there's there's not really compassion there we have to learn that and don't we well tell me
0: um I've <laughs> What the the research that I've read, and I'll and I'll refer to um, the founder of the Search Inside Yourself Institute. Um, He's the jolly good fellow of Google, employee 107, Meng. And Meng um, talks about compassion as saying that that is something we're born with, it's something we're wired with. And scientists believe that helps a mother hear the suffering or hear the crying of a child and then tend to that child. We're kind of wired to tune into suffering and relieve it. So what happens? What what happened to all these people that grew up? And where is all the compassion mm-hmm. that we need to see in the world? Because mm-hmm. we don't always see it. And, and what we believe is that it gets sort of clouded over. It gets blocked by thoughts, by fears, by um, busyness and stress. So we actually lose our or diminish our ability or even block our ability to notice what's happening. Hmm. And, and now we can actually start talking about how mindfulness fits into this, but we lose our ability to notice the suffering of others to see what's really happening in the moment. And then we also start to develop as, as we over time, we develop thoughts that hold us back, that keep us from taking action. You know, we might see someone suffering on the street and say, I don't know that, you know, what, if I go over there, you know, maybe I'll get hurt or maybe I'm just enabling that person mm. if I kind of help them. Or, um, I think, you know, I've got so, I'm so stressed out that if I go help that person who's hurt, that's going to be the last straw and I'll just fall apart. You know, so we have all these things that we tell ourselves in our head that block our ability to, to unveil our compassion. So our compassion is, is there. We need to figure out how to, clear out all the, the layers of things that we pile up that prevent us from shining our light. Yeah. Yeah. So how
1: do we do that? How do we do that? Yeah. How do we do that? That is the big and important question. Miss mindfulness. I know. Well, (laughs) mindful, mindfulness is obviously important because to be aware of the, the, that there is a block there, you know, that, you know, when we're driving down the road and that person is Knocking on our car door window, which by the way is annoying, sorry, yeah it is annoying, <laughs> but I want to feel compassion for that person, and i I want to I want to help, but um, how do I get rid of those thoughts that have been so ingrained in me so that I can show up as a more compassionate leader compassionate person? well there's
0: really um you know, I think the question of how is so critical because these ideas are sound really good but we want to be pragmatic right and um mindfulness helps to cultivate compassion three ways so the first way is one that you've touched on and that is being mindful means paying attention in the present Mm -hmm. with with an openness and a curiosity so um it's the opposite of being judgmental so when we practice mindfulness and we do that both formally by sitting on a mat and, and meditating and using mindfulness practices as well as just being more mindful in action, you know, throughout the day, paying attention on purpose. So as we become more mindful, as we practice that, we, it's, it's like taking your brain to the gym. We actually increase our brain muscle, our, our brain capacity to notice and to pay attention. So that's, and there's, there's a ton of science that shows that even in as short as two weeks, there's a lot of science that shows eight weeks, but we even have science that shows in two weeks of daily mindfulness practice, we see structural and function changes in the brain. Wow. So that's really powerful. So paying attention, why does paying attention cultivate compassion? Because as you said, we need to notice that someone's suffering we need to notice that someone's in pain or grieving or disturbed or anxious and if you're a business person in a meeting you need to be able to tune in to what's happening in the moment Mm -hmm. and that comes with increasing that skill if you're at another environment at home at work um in in a meeting, in a social organization, you need to have the ability to pay attention and not be thinking about something from yesterday or something from tomorrow. So we, we increase our skill in tuning in. The second way that mindfulness increases compassion is that a key component of mindfulness, as I said, is our attitude. It's how we relate to the experiences in our, in our life. So Many of us in our society are, are deeply, we're, we're kind of deeply trained in labeling, comparing, judging, um, uh, ranking, you know, mm-hmm. assigning, like putting things in a box and, and putting a label on it and, um, and even making a judgment. And, and it's, it's really, I mean, we're, we're, we're educated almost to do that. You mm-hmm. know, in school, we're kind of, it's kind of how we learn in some ways, so we might see someone crying in a meeting and we might say, "Oh, that person's so emotional. You mm-hmm. know we kind of label that behavior right. and, and judge that behavior. You know that person's always losing it. Or this person never reacts or um, uh, you know, I keep lending my cousin money and um, you know, he, he keeps blowing it and you know, and we, we kind of block by judging and labeling, we block our ability to be compassionate because mm-hmm. we, we, it's, our, it's our rational side putting up a block. And mindfulness actually is shown to help us cultivate an openness and a curiosity. So we, we do that towards ourselves, but we also start to do that towards others. So mm-hmm. instead of labeling and blocking and, and um, distancing ourselves from, from suffering that's happening, we actually get a little more open mm-hmm. a little more curious what's happening with that person yeah why are they feeling so badly like in
1: wicked the musical when we find out that elphaba was why she's so the bad witch why she, because she's been through so much beautiful exactly <laughs> my life is a musical
0: see Lord. we never we never found out in wizard of oz why that right. bad witch was suffering but i bet she had a really good reason but now we've evolved so now yeah. we get to find out so. it's it's interesting because dorothy threw the bucket of cold water on yes. her and she right. you know there she was poof she's gone right but how often in life do we kind of do that we kind of throw the bucket of water on someone Instead of just being open and mm-hmm. figuring out what's really going on, yeah,
1: yeah, okay, so so it helps us to become aware. it helps us to be more curious. What else?
0: Well, um, the third piece is that mindfulness it's shown that um, there's a high correlation between how we treat ourselves and how we treat others. Mm. And um, there's some great work. There's a um, some great work happening out of Stanford and, and happening in Berkeley. Oh, I'm I, I'm going to get the the title of the organization wrong, but I think it's the Greater Good Center for Science. But it's not exactly right at Berkeley. They um they've really shown that there's a correlation in in how we relate to ourselves and how we treat ourselves and our capacity to treat others. Well, Mm, that's huge. I totally believe that you could do a series of podcasts on that alone, Mm -hmm. right? And so, what we notice with mindfulness, mindfulness increases our self awareness. So, um, self awareness is the foundational component of emotional intelligence. Mm. So, emotional intelligence is our ability to manage ourselves and connect with and manage others, and self awareness is the foundation when we're mindful we start to notice what's happening with ourselves and what's going on with ourselves and we can we can listen to and start to hear that voice that's in our head that is that is the harsh critic or other people call it the inner critic Mm -hmm. the voice that's um that's noticing what we didn't accomplish today instead of what we did accomplish or or when if we make a mistake or forget something or don't or we we don't get to something we needed to get to we often berate ourselves and we we're, we're pretty tough on ourselves. We are so
1: tough on ourselves. Yeah. And so so when we can can develop self-compassion then we're free to be compassionate with the rest of the world and then you know yes. it's just the ripple effect is like crazy. So, so how the, do we and,
0: develop self-compassion? Well the way that works is um, Self-compassion becomes a habit. So there's a lot of books on the New York Times bestseller list right now on habit. It's really, or at least there's one in particular that hangs on a lot, The Power of Habit. And habit is trainable. Habits are made up of mindsets and skills that are trainable. So when we practice something, it becomes part, it it, it grows a new neural pathway Mm -hmm. and gets embedded in how we operate. So self-compassion being compassionate to ourselves and how we treat ourselves with openness and and kindness and curiosity and and a gentleness a gentle self-talk is something that's trainable and when and and the research shows that when we start to do that to ourselves over time that becomes our default not only for ourselves but for others when we don't have that in our own mind for our ourselves right. it's 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 difficult. It's a lot of effort to be kind and compassionate to others. Well, you can't give away what you don't have. Yes.
1: You have to f- you fill your own tank first. You yes. put on the, the oxygen mask on the plane first. What does that look like in a corporate setting for someone who is an executive? What kind of a lifestyle do they live that they are compassionate with themselves and they can show up at work as a
0: compassionate leader? Well, there's a lot of... um You know, there's a lot of great examples now of of leaders and uh, at all levels, but CEOs that practice mindfulness every day. Talk about including Steve Jobs. Talk about your favorite one. Um, I love Bill George from Medtronic. He's he's a CEO that is really taking a stand on compassion and leadership. And um, what what this allows a leader to do is is in a meeting or even walking down the hall a leader that is noticing what's happening with an individual person or a team is able to create a connection. And by that, you know, we hear a lot about connection now, but a connection is making a comment that says, I see you, Mm -hmm. you know, just make, noticing in the moment what's happening, making a comment and, and the contents of that comment would come from the heart, you know? So how are you doing today? I've really appreciated that. Um, the early launch of our product, you know, you're heading up that team, and I i love that you guys got that out a week early. It's not just a rational comment of, wow, you really came in a, under budget and ahead of time, but it's a comment that that has emotion in it and feeling, and that's coming from the heart. Compassionately, leaders are able to connect to the hearts of their employees. And there's a lot of research that shows that when you do that, that increases employee engagement. They're more engaged at work. They feel that they have a deeper sense of belonging, which reduces absenteeism and increases productivity. So it, it really affects the bottom line of a company, but it comes from a leader who's willing to, to get out and walk the hall and notice what's happening and communicate from the heart and have empathy for their employees. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that they're not tough. People think, oh, if I'm compassionate, I'm gonna lose my edge. Mm-hmm. I hear that in um a lot of the mindfulness training I do with with leaders. They say, Well, you know, fine, but you know, I'm not I'm not a monk sitting on a mountain and I can't afford to lose my edge. And it makes me think of a, a wonderful compassionate leader, which is um the leader of Hewlett Packard, you know, back in the day. Like this started in California, a lot of the first compassionate leaders that we saw. And Dave was was very compassionate with with the employees of Hewlett Packard, communicating with heart, you know, being present and connected. But when someone would cross an ethical line, you know, with with stealing or um, uh, being untruthful in in contract management uh, negotiations or anything, Dave would personally get on the airplane, fly to that Hewlett Packard site and fire the person on the spot. So compassion, embodied in compassion is integrity and clarity and taking positive and affirmative action when needed. And that doesn't, that's not, that's not exclusive from leading from the heart, from being empathetic and reducing the suffering of others. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what I think is why compassion is so, um, it's really got, it's getting a lot of attention right now because executives are learning that I can still be tough and clear and hold the line, and engage the hearts and minds of my employees. You know,
1: this sounds a lot to me like this is a very feminine principle. Is this this a part of the rise of the divine feminine in business?
0: (laughs) Um, Well, personally, I think it is. And I think um, I've been in business for over two decades, not to age myself, but... I've, you know, I started out kind of wearing the man suit and, and mm-hmm. being the man. Didn't um, we all? Yeah. Yeah. You know, working with Accenture in the first 12 years and, and kind of fitting into the male way of being and how I showed up. And, um, and that didn't feel so good to me, actually. And there's a lot missing. There's a lot missing in the, in the workplace. And for sure. What I appreciate is the rise of, of feminine qualities of, Um, heart and connection that we see in men and in women Mm -hmm. and that's the beauty is it doesn't mean it's I think at first we started to see women more show these qualities and that felt good but the men were still kind of in their box and now we're seeing men getting more and more comfortable with showing up as a whole person yeah
1: it's awesome it really is awesome
0: How can we bring this compassion to politics
1: so that we can can shift that to a more uh, compassionate
0: institution? You know, um, the mission of the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute is to cultivate wise and compassionate leaders worldwide to bring about world peace. I love that. So it's not um, to deliver mindfulness-based emotional intelligence training to business leaders. It's to create world peace. And that's Ming's. Ming, Ming, our founder, has presented at the United Nations. He's close to the Dalai Lama. He's been all over the world with this message. And and that's what I think we need to do. We need to um, help uh, cultivate these qualities in the hearts of our political leaders globally. Mm-hmm. One of the practices that we do in the Search Inside Yourself training is a compassion practice where we help. We We have... Uh, participants work in twos and they face each other and we do a really um, moving practice where we help experientially so I don't want to to blow the experience by explaining it in detail but what happens is two participants are facing each other and they start to realize that the person in front of them is just like them Mm -hmm. and when we start to realize that this person in front of me who might have a different skin color or speak a different language or have a different religion is actually much more like me than different than from me. I think that's the secret to cultivating compassion worldwide. Oh,
1: that's beautiful. Isn't that true? Because compassion and peace starts within. It starts with the individual. And you can't, like we said, you can't give away what you don't have. So we need to develop it within ourselves. Then we reach out to the next person who's right in front of us. And then the sky's the limit. It yeah. is world peace. So I'm so glad you're on this corporate, corporate thing, and I'm putting it out on the airwaves. So um, you know, yeah. wherever you are out there, you can you can find your own inner compassion and spread it to your own sphere of influence. Thank you so much, Lori Cameron. For it was more great information about. Purpose Blue and all of your work and if somebody wants to take your
0: class at University of Maryland with me, how do we do that? I have a website www.purposeblue.com and I would love for your listeners to sign up for my newsletter. The inaugural newsletter will come out October 1st. Oh, that's So soon. I'm announcing it on the air. Okay. <laughs> and holding myself accountable but we've got wonderful uh, workshops and retreats that we do for all different kinds of organizations. Women's groups, uh, political groups as well as um, nonprofits and corporations. So I just think this is really important work, and I'm I'm excited to add people to the tribe and keep it going.
1: Yes, yes, and get get this work into the the political. Yeah, <laughs> it's so I hear bl- you. <laughs> such a blessing that you're so close to D.C. because yeah. we need it there, don't we? Yeah. Yes. Can I hear an amen? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Laurie Thank you. It's been great talking. Thanks so much for listening to Happy Healthy You. And just for you guys, the Happy Healthy You listener... Audible, the awesome audiobook people, are offering a free 30-day trial to give you the chance to check them out. I always have about three audiobooks going at once. I listen when I'm driving, they're great on long trips, when I'm running, or just hanging out at home. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash happyhealthyyou. Hey, you'll also be helping support this podcast, so thanks.